0: Hi everyone. So excited to share this conversation I had with an amazing Woodbury leader and friend of mine, Dr. Melinda Johnson. Dr. Johnson is a longtime Woodbury resident with incredible knowledge about and excitement to transform our communities for the better. She's been doing this through joining various committees like Heart and Soul and the Neighborhood Preservation Program. She was recently elected to the Woodbury School Board last year, and even more recently, she just started the journey of establishing a nonprofit organization. The Johnson manner of Faith and Education. This conversation was so deep and passionate, it's going to be one that I certainly listen to at least once a week, just for some inspiration and excitement moving into the fall. I hope you feel the same way and enjoy listening. Cool. So I am here with Dr. Melinda Johnson. I will actually give you the honor of kind of introducing yourself because there's so many accolades and things that I could throw out there to describe who you are, but I'm very excited to have you here. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. I'm really excited to be part of this podcast. I think this is a really cool technique for sharing insights of our community. Um, And so I'm Dr. Melinda. I am a resident of Woodbury, born and raised here. I had an extraordinary and some ordinary experiences too. (laughs) I decided to move back to New Jersey after my relatively long stint in California because I did my Mm. undergraduate years there and then I worked there for quite some time. So I think that decision to come back to a home base says a lot about who I am and how deeply affected I was by the experiences that I had here. And it, it created a space for me to know that I could come back here and continue to grow while making a difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your experiences as you were coming up in Woodbury.
1: Awesome, awesome time in Woodbury. So I was one of those kids that didn't go to preschool and that was largely because my mom was super invested in making sure that she had a strong hand in my development. So I was essentially, you know, raised by my family in those really formative years. And so I had the experiences that they deemed important. Mm. And so from a familial perspective, you know, we read together, you know, that was one of the things I saw going on in the house. We cooked together, you know, that was something that was exciting and brought us all together. For much of it, we went to church together. Mm -hmm. Um, So the communities that I experienced were family-based communities during that time. So I went to Evergreen Avenue School. That was awesome. One of the things that I like to talk about is my fifth grade year at Evergreen because I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. And the birth of my musicianship actually started at Evergreen Avenue School. There was an opportunity. We're going to have a talent show. And I really, at that time, I didn't know. I was like, I don't know if I have any talent. Right. (laughs) To be honest with you. (laughs) What happened though, my grandmother, I lived with my mother and my grandparents. My grandmother was also a musician and she played the piano. So I asked her to teach me a song. And so during that performance at the talent show, I took the little book up there as if I could read the music, but I really memorized Nana's hands positioning and everything. Mm. And after that, my mom says to me, do you want to pursue this? And I said, yeah. First of all, I felt a light from the experience of learning from my grandmother. And I also felt energy when I was on stage, so to speak. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, you're asking me about my Woodbury experience. They go on and on and on. Um, yeah. I had so many teachers pour into me. So I was not a part of the typical enrichment classes until really high school began. But I had an eighth grade teacher, Mrs. Gloria Holmes, Mm -hmm. who saw something in me that probably had been seen before, but I wasn't ready to act on at that time. And my mother was the type of parent who allowed me to mature at a rate that was consistent with what she believed was good for me. Hmm. So I can remember. I'll take you back to first grade just for a second. Uh So in first grade, I'm part of this reading group, and I'm really in like the mid-level reading group. When they used to call home at that time, there was like basically one phone in the house, maybe two one upstairs and one downstairs. So the conversation was like wide open for everybody. And I remember Mrs. Stampa, when Mrs. Stampa phoned to basically let my mom know that I was at a reading level where I could move up to the highest level. My mom asked me, is that something you want to do? And I said, Yeah, no. (laughs) So that wasn't what I wanted at that time. But going back to my eighth grade experience with Mrs. Holmes, she said, you have the capacity to look at literature from a different standpoint, from an elevated standpoint. Do you want to do it?
0: Mm.
1: I said, absolutely, yes. Mm. And so that's when I started to really engage with literature and reading on a different level. Yeah, And it was exciting for me. It was very exciting for me. Yeah, You know, when I think about growing up in Woodbury, a lot of my experiences are school-based experiences, but then a lot of them are also church-related experiences. Mm. So I grew up to become a concerned and engaged citizen with uh, many different talents.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I love the fact that you pull from those experiences from your younger years, and it's really come full circle in terms of what you're doing now. I know that you've you've know, you gotten degrees in education and that you are now a part of the Woodbury School Board as well. Tell me a little bit about how education kind of shaped that path that you've moved through from whenever it was that you left Woodbury to where you are now.
1: I would say in some ways that experience that I just recanted somewhat describes my experience with education because in many ways my passion for education was unbeknownst to me. Mm-hmm. For many years, I didn't see myself as scholarly or inclined toward education. But hindsight is twenty twenty, right?
0: Sure. <laughs> so uh,
1: as a kid, I really didn't buy into the mode of education that was for sale. Mm. So when I say that, I mean, I went along with it, but I really didn't identify classroom time as like the most awesome experience. I knew it was necessary, but the typical classroom environment – wasn't the most attractive to me, and in many ways it's still not that attractive to me now. My senses, the way I obtain information, find that sage on stage, that is not my preferred medium or learning style. I enjoy the stimulation of group assignments, deep one-on-one conversations. So luckily, I didn't get lost in the shuffle, but I was able to soak up the required information across multiple formats. But education sort of grabbed hold of me, if that's fair to say. Uh, Yes, I do have a master's degree in higher education. Yes, I do have a doctoral degree in educational leadership. But it's more like a calling that I've answered. And I'll I'll just give you an example. It's actually another story I love to tell. (laughs) So um, back in June of 2011, I took a vacation to the Caribbean. It was with my mom. And so my mother's deceased now. Uh, so I look back on this time really fondly. And back then we would find ways for her to fit in her dialysis treatments in between our island excursions. Right. So I remember dropping her off at a facility in one of the bays and then heading to an ocean bar with a book. And this book was given to me by a communications guru that I worked with at the time um, at Drexel University. The book was Condoleezza Rice's memoir called My Extraordinary Ordinary Family and Me. And the guru who had given me the book told me that she and I were similar. Hmm. Interestingly enough, I did not think so. (laughs) Because this was not my first encounter with Dr. Rice. She had been one of the top level administrators. I believe she was provost at Stanford from like 93 to 99, which was essentially my entire stay on campus. So I could remember kind of like walking past her, frankly, feeling a bit ignored. I guess I had this expectation Mm. that she might acknowledge me as one of the relatively few African-American students on campus. So that didn't happen. So I wondered, well, why, why the heck does this guy see us as, as similar? So I read the book. Turned out she's a pianist. <laughs> um, and later on, I actually had the pleasure of attending a concert where she performed with Aretha Franklin. So Dr. Rice wasn't focused on becoming Dr. Rice. Mm. There was a time when she gave piano lessons to make ends meet. But a family member encouraged her to do more. It was her aunt who suggested that she return to school and obtain her doctorate. And her aunt told her, if you don't, you'll never know how far you can go. Wow. Jared, when I read those words, it cut. It yeah. cut deep. Here <laughs> I was, I'm relaxing on the bay, and now right. this. I'm like, but, come <laughs> on, I just finished my master's degree. I'm tired. I'm not right. doing this. Yeah. But for me, I felt a call. I felt a call while I was on that beach, not to settle, but to pursue higher education. That song, uh, when, when Jesus Says Yes, Nobody Can Say No, that's right. kind of right. like the feeling that I was experiencing, um, and that was, that was nearly a decade ago. So I, I tell that story really to show that I didn't have a burning passion inside me to develop into an educational administrator, <laughs> the one I am today, but I did have the strength to answer the call. that later turn into the deep passion for leadership. Mm. So I think it's important for people to know that everyone isn't born knowing what they're passionate about. And Mm. so for many of us, it develops and it's based on sometimes what we're good at, sometimes what we're not good at, and sometimes it comes from a knowing from deep within that may have lied dormant.
0: Yeah, I think that that's incredible too. And I guarantee that there are so many other stories like that, even within Woodbury. And I say that with confidence because I have a similar setup with the way that I've moved over the last eight years within starting as a pharmacology major and ending up in community development. And it was other folks. And that's, I think, you know, the way that you're speaking about your experiences is something that's great and want to encourage folks to really consider when they think about Woodbury is, you know, you've got the family, but you're also talking about educators and other mentors that you've met. And that's all here in the city. And that's the same thing that I, you know, Councilwoman Brown was one of the first people who kind of led me on this path. But tons of other people that I've met in Woodbury who see something in our youth and then do what we can to encourage that. And I think that even the way that you talked about it with your mother and the question of is this something that you want to do is a really interesting one because it gives a level of maturity and freedom and choice to really start to figure out and think about well what is my passion or what is the thing that i want and it's like those subtle seeds almost that are planted and then you see them come to fruition years and years later and i think that there are plenty of stories in woodbury that that speak to that as well so segueing now you're back in woodbury tell me a little bit about how that process started like when you started to really consider all right i'm going back to woodbury what were some of the things on your mind for you to to start to accomplish once you got back here in the into the city.
1: So that was several years back that I moved to Woodbury and I would say in many ways I began a professional journey
0: hmm.
1: much more so than I had begun when I was still living in California. I had just finished my degree, and so I was kind of trying different things. And I'll be honest with you, Jared, I had six jobs Mm. before I finally landed in the area that I felt like, wow, I belong. But interestingly enough, it was the first position as a research administrator that led me back to Drexel University in research administration and finding my home amidst academia but not as a academic per se, mm-hmm. as someone who was overseeing administration. So in terms of being part of the community and seeing that I do have something to offer, I have effectively lived like a third of my life, as far as <laughs> as far as I can tell. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I very much see it as a time for a next chapter for me. Last summer, I stepped away from my 15-year tenure with Drexel University, and it was an intentional step away from me. And Mm. I didn't necessarily know what was next. I just knew that there was something that was next. Mm. Well, a week later was when Joe Pegues and I had a sit-down about Mm. our upcoming campaign for school board. So for me, engaging in the community is a natural next step. So as you know, I ran for school board because I really wanted to give up my time and talent to support the growth and development of our young people, academically, civically, and socially. I call it sharing, giving back. Some people may think of it as a legacy, but I still know that I have a ton of growing to do. So um, I, I see myself, I am developing Mm -hmm. into a role with the community. I'm currently serving on a couple different, I call them boards, but they're more like uh, leadership opportunities. One of which, is with the uh, Neighborhood Preservation Program. And so I'm engaging in the city in a way that I never have before. And so I'm able to make a contribution based on the things that I understand, you know, based on my understanding of fiscal administration, based on my understanding of collective impact. But at the same time, I'm learning and growing from other people who some have been in the space for a long time, but others have not. Mm. You are leading a group called Heart and Soul now, Woodbury's Heart and Soul. And one of the things that I love about that is the inclusion of the young people in having a voice and saying, okay, where is it that we'd like to go forward? Because I think in as much as the uh, young people need the older people for the wisdom and direction, older people need the young people for some of the innovation. Mm. You know, so I, I applaud Heart and Soul for you know like establishing a platform where we're all talking together about what matters just as a community.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to talk to that process or that kind of experience of running for school board, you know, it's Mm. personally, I haven't really as much as I've kind of been integrated into the Woodbury community, even in the political sense, school board hasn't really been something that I've touched too much or learned too much about. I mean, what was your experience like in running for school board? And what has it been like for the last it's been almost a year now? What has that experience been like for you?
1: So new and exciting, it's work. This was my first political campaign and I enjoyed it because I got to socialize with lots of people from the town. Across most of my interactions, I felt like people were generally listening to me and likewise I was listening to you. One of the things that I think is interesting about Serving on the board and that I might tell others who are considering it is to gain as much insight into the actual role because there's a pretty steep learning curve associated with serving thoughtfully and well. Hmm. Yes, everybody is able to give a vote, yes or no, but it's very much like starting a new job. I mean, it is a new job, but in this case, there's no monetary compensation. One of the things that's very interesting is much of the impact of the school board is governed by the requirements of the state and federal government. So, you know, it's a it's a public entity. So sure, we have some input and creativity around implementation, but we're largely held to state and federal guidelines. One of the things that I love about it is the available training from the New Jersey School Board Association. I think when I did my initial interview, I learned, quote me, don't quote me, but it seems as if it's the only elected office where there's required training like there there are things you must do within year 1 in order to maintain that office so that's great from, from my perspective.
0: Yeah, I did not know that. That's interesting. I, I know for a fact, many other, pretty much all other elected offices don't require any training, which is an interesting thing, you know, in, in terms of my understanding of public administration and public policy is that you would think folks who are more trained or more adept at the content or within the field that they'll be representing makes them better public leaders, but more often than not, we actually don't require at all that these folks are trained or or have some level of education or knowledge about the field in which they're going to be representing other folks, which is interesting. I want to to get a sense of, you know, what has it been like specifically now that the pandemic has been going on? School administration in general has looked different for everyone. What has that process been like for you as a school board member and doing your best to kind of advocate or represent multiple perspectives or voices in a very kind of ambiguous time?
1: It's been challenging, to say the least. In terms of the role that I play in being a decision maker that takes to heart the welfare of the students within the district, I would say it hasn't been more challenging for me to make decisions that are rooted in that area but there have been a lot more factors sure, to sure. consider it's been a balancing act in many ways i mean the decision to move to remote learning yeah is is a challenging decision because every time you make a choice there are consequences some of those consequences are good not all consequences are good right, right. and As we know, we've always dealt with multiple types of learners. And so for some students, this is going to be the creme de la creme for them. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So I, within my own learning experiences, have had blended learning opportunities, some Mm -hmm. of which were online, some of which was face-to-face. And so, you know, I've had classmates who were of mature ages for whom this is not The best uh, learning structure. But I think that from what I'm seeing, I'm seeing the community, the school community, the teachers, the, the administrators, everybody is pooling together and trying to make this experience as good as possible. I think we're in a place where that's all we can ask because. This is unlike any other educational decision because it truly has impacted the entire community. Like no one is exempt from dealing with or managing some of the effects of COVID-19.
0: Yeah, and that's a really great segue too because I'm thinking about the idea that obviously schools play a huge role in the way that a community develops and a way that a community is structured. And so as you're talking about how really no one is exempt from this pandemic, I want to get your sense of what do you see a school's role in a community developing? And more specifically, what do you see the student's role in the way that a community develops?
1: Wow. Wow, great question. (laughs) Uh, In fact, I think it's this type of questioning, this type of inquiry about the role that can actually lead to meaningful and necessary interactions between the educational community and the community at large. I mean, newsflash, we don't live in silos. Uh, We live together uh, as neighbors, um, although we have different life experiences. So how do I see the school board interfacing with the community As a school board member, like I mentioned, I make decisions that support the welfare of students. And to me, making decisions that foster the good and not the harm for 1,600 students in our district means that I place their well-being above other factors. Mm. But when you're working with other parts of the community, you have deeper insight into what those factors are, what the economics are that are playing into, you know what I'm saying? And so you can make, Decisions that take those things into account. So let me go just a little deeper. Um, I think most people agree that children are the future. So the role that we allow them to play today shapes definitively the role that they're able to play tomorrow. And I'm proud of the school board for having a student representative because I think that's huge Yeah. because a student's perspective is necessarily shaped by you know the experiences that they're having and giving them a voice in that forum I see it as significant so to the degree possible having uh, school board members who are active in other sectors of the community helps to diversify the conversation and make sure that students are being considered in conversations about Woodbury's economy, about Woodbury's community development, another Reason why I'm super excited about Woodbury's Heart and Soul program. I think that's a conversation starter across life in Woodbury. It's inclusive of, you know, economics, education, safety, socialization, right? So, as a school board leader with a leadership role in Heart and Soul, I'm committed to exploring those intersections and. I also firmly believe that when diversity, because I think that's what we're talking about when we talk about discussions across sectors, when diversity is properly harnessed, it really leads to greater innovation and growth. Yeah, There are many struggles. Like Everybody knows that the market case for diversity is clear. Diverse groups outperform homogenous groups. Mm-hmm. That said diversity points to differing opinions. And so as we look forward to making collective impact, we as the current leaders amongst our community have to find ways to have conversations, hold safe spaces so that people feel like they can bring their opposing views and that we can consider them without a voice of judgment, hear one another, learn to listen to one another, you know, like open up our empathic ears um, on some level. So your question about school boards and the way that they play in the community, I think the greater involvement they have within the community, the more effect they're able to have on students at large, because students don't just have learning experiences in school. Mm. They have a widespread experience and to the degree that we're able to help them, support them in their growth and development along multiple lines, because classrooms have rules, classrooms have structure. So we're teaching students so many different things without even having them be the content or the curriculum that's being assigned.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And you put it in such a kind of eloquent way and really... Talking about Heart and Soul's vision about how we engage our youth is to simply, as possible, give them the platforms that they need to be able to navigate these community spaces. And I love the way that you said that holding space, you know, making folks feel comfortable and feel confident enough to engage and to reach out into new different spheres. Of Is this a passion of mine? How can I engage and create more diversity or more perspective in the way that these conversations are moving forward or these decisions are made more collectively? I think you put all that so eloquently.
1: When I was running for office, one of the things that was truly, truly awesome was the support that I received from a multitude of families. And I really say that, like, my biological family, my church family, my Stanford and Drexel family, the Thundering Herd alumni, and, of course, the residents mm. in Woodbury particularly, Ward 2, there was a definitive outpouring of love and communication. Mm. And I felt like a lot of times that doesn't get harnessed mm. at you know, after the fact. And so I think as a school board member, that's one of the things that I'm truly committed to is the continuance of those conversations. Me continuing to support them as I said I was because I work with other board members and my job is to do that. I don't govern the school, but it is my job to make sure that it's running well. And so I think it's just great to have someone in place that you know has care and concern and will listen That's a great jumping off point to a next level. But I think many times in the elected role, from what I mean, I'm just talking about my own experiences, and I do not want to speak negatively about any of our current elected officials. But I think in general, like what we experience is that you when you once you move into doing the work, it is a challenge Mm -hmm. to maintain touch points within the community. So to your question, that's one of the challenges I want to rise to.
0: No, I think that that's amazing. I definitely think that it feels like right now in Woodbury, there is this swell of emerging leaders, right? Folks who want to get more involved. They're finding different spaces. And if they can't find them, they're creating these new spaces to develop themselves as leaders in the community. And I think that that's really important to that point is that it does take a lot of effort, not only to manage something in a very kind of structured and institutional style and at the same time have this ground level connection that you still are representing people through that institutional frame it's Mm -hmm. a very difficult job it's almost like a juggling act but you're doing it blindfolded and things are on fire and you're like walking on a tightrope and people are yelling at you the entire time and you have to smile right? Like through it all. (laughs) So I definitely think that all of our public leaders you know, school board, our city council, our police force, there's so many others who are doing this kind of juggling act right now. And I think that they're still taking it with an ounce of grace to go that extra step and say, well, how do we still bring in other folks to also make sure that Voices are being heard and diversity is being encouraged and engagement is being uplifted. So I think that that's an amazing vision and challenge that you are you're kind of setting for yourself to rise up to. And I think even in the work that you're doing outside of this, you've started a nonprofit in your spare time, which I'm surprised that you have with all the <laughs> other things that you do. So tell me a little bit about the Johnson manner of faith and education.
1: Awesome. So this is a wonderful Assignment. It's yet another call on my life. Uh, God gave me a colossal vision. This year, amidst the chaos of COVID 19 and the growing chasm of what I call right and wrong, Mm -hmm. I established this. Johnson Manor of Faith and Education. Um, Our mission is to educate and edify South Jersey youth in particular through academic and faith-based instruction via out-of-school programs, so primarily summer camps for our first few years.
0: Mm.
1: And and my vision for this organization is that we'll see a community of uh, South Jersey youth who are empowered to navigate life's social academic and economic system. So we've existed as a 501c3 since July of 2020. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But we've already held our first virtual camp. It was was called Here is Heart Camp, and it was open to pre-K to fifth grade campers across the country. So while my vision was to empower South Jersey youth, in many ways this pandemic pushed me to look beyond that immediately, right? we incorporated in July as a 501c3 hosting camp. It was wildly successful in terms of attendance, instructional delivery, um, and what I like to call unadulterated fun. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the post-event survey responses have knocked my socks off. I'm already planning for next year. In terms of JMFE, our formal programs focus on English literacy skills, habits of self-leadership, and ecclesiastical principles. So I think of it very much as the three L's, language, leadership, and love. Mm. So as the founder, soon to be executive director, Mm -hmm. I'm building a team right now. I'm building a team that I believe will transform the lives of youth and families in this region. I've got a current goal of 25 by 25, which means that the Johnson Manor of Faith and Education will have a mix of 25 partners by the 25th of December. This mix will include skilled employees, board members, volunteers, philanthropists and business partners and this number of 25 doesn't include our current board of nine amazing talented individuals from across the country. So our board members come from Texas, California, Pennsylvania, North Carolina and of course New Jersey. Yeah. So, you know, one of the reasons I chose to focus on literacy is because communication is a tool that I deem critically necessary for success. Yeah being able to articulate and express yourself is central to having a voice, an effective voice in today's culture. Um, So, you know, just a quick glance at local and national statistics reflect substandard scores in reading and writing. So this is where JMFE has decided to focus Hmm. is this is the most fun work I've ever had. (laughs) The process is collaborative. You know, I'm in the process of, developing our website. We've already got our social media platforms. I'm honing the target audience for the programs that we're building out. Hmm. It's time consuming, but rewarding. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. I think that this obviously has a much more interesting spin because of the way that you've incorporated faith as well as education. Talk to me a little bit about what you think the role of faith has in community development and through the work that you're doing with JMFE.
1: So experience has shown me that people with faith are more likely to demonstrate resilience. Particularly when life is challenging, I am resilient. Mm-hmm. And since I was raised to share and testify to what works, I want to share this with young people. And when I say this, I mean faith. What is it? I'll take a step further than my own personal experiences. In 2016, 2017, I conducted my dissertation research to identify associations between spirituality and coping with stress. Mm how relevant for the time period that we're living in. Yeah. So I found statistically significant correlations between certain elements of spirituality and stress management. So I know this works. Mm. So I definitively wanted to couple faith to support education. Mm. It's clear to me that we're living in a time period where young people, need to be managers of stress it's overwhelming for adults so the sooner we provide our youth with stress management tools and techniques the, the better
0: yeah this is a very poignant and like you said a relevant initiative that you're taking on what do you see the potential impact or what's the vision or hope that this organization would have in woodbury but also just in general with the youth that you'll be engaging
1: So when I think about the impact of an out-of-school program Mm -hmm. uh, on developing English literacy, habits of self-leadership, and Christ-centered principles, I think of this woman who uh, I heard lecture once, and she said that education is freedom work. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about the impact of JMFB on our community, I think about possibilities of advancement. I think about how I might measure, how I might look at what exposing young people to these types of opportunities, to this type of supportive extracurricular activity will do to really bolster their future. Because again, my goal is to have young people who are able to navigate social, political, Mm -hmm. And economic systems, like life is political. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, to the degree that they're interested, because everything you do is political in some way. I'm still in some ways figuring out what those metrics look like. Mm -hmm. I'll have objectives for each of the programs, but then to tie it together to what the larger vision is for impact, I'm really hoping to see like a large scale change in the community. And that looks like kids wanting to stay in our region because there are greater possibilities that they have co-created with some of the existing businesses in Woodbury. Yeah. Businesses, for-profit entities or non-profit entities, like looking at us as a much more sustainable community. And sustainable, I mean like that from many, many aspects of the words, but specifically financial sustainability. I'd like to see the economics come up for all of the families in Woodbury.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That ties perfectly into the last question before we kind of wrap up. If we had to think about your vision for Woodbury in general, like you mentioned, you sit on different boards with the Neighborhood Preservation Program, Heart and Soul, School Board. What would you say your vision is for the community in Woodbury at large?
1: So I would humbly say I would love to see unity amidst diversity. Personally, I want to support collective potential by pouring into the young people of this community. Mm -hmm. So uh, oftentimes my friends will say to me, Mel, what do you think we can do? (laughs) You know, when the various problems arise Mm -hmm. and I tell them that I've made a stake in the ground as far as education is concerned. And that's where I'm going to derive impact. I want to see Woodbury be unified, but I, I don't want to see Woodbury lose the diversity that it currently has. So unity amidst diversity. That's, that's my vision.
0: I love that. That's a good tagline too. You might be able to uh-huh. stitch that on a pillow or something and uh, oh, throw them, throw them around the, <laughs> the streets. I love that. <laughs> so we are closing up right now and just wanted to ask if you had any closing thoughts or remarks or advice or anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners before you wrapped up.
1: So at the beginning of this interview, you asked me a little bit about myself, and I would say that perseverance has undergirded much of my life strategy. In fact, it's been obstacles oftentimes that have tended to help refine my character Hmm. and push me towards the callings on my life. At Drexel, uh, we say the future is a place we make, Hmm. so... I want folk, young people in particular to see beyond today and tomorrow, to see their dream and have the faith to believe for what they want. And when the time comes, be ready to do it.
0: Dr. Johnson, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Oh, this and... was
1: so much fun. Thank you, Jared. Thank yeah, you so, so much. Yeah,
0: absolutely. A million more thank yous to Dr. Johnson for joining me for this episode. I know for a fact that Woodbury is a better place because of all of her efforts in support of our youth and community at large. You can follow along with the Johnson Manor of Faith and Education's work on Instagram at johnsonmanorfe, and keep your eyes peeled for many more exciting things coming right around the corner for our city's youth. Thanks so much again for listening and talk soon.